Insightful podcasts by informative hosts. Insights into Things, a podcast network. Welcome to Insights into Teens, a podcast series exploring the issues and challenges of today's youth. Your hosts are Joseph and Madison Whalen, a father and daughter team making their way through the challenges of the teenage years. Welcome to Insights into Teens. This is episode 85 running for president. I am your host, Joseph Whalen, and my intelligent and trustworthy co-host, Madison Whalen. Hi, everyone. How are you doing today, Maddie? I'm doing pretty okay. Pretty okay. That that sounds mediocre to me. Really? Rough week? Um, not really. Just Tuesday was just a bad day in the beginning, but... Um, for the most part, things haven't been bad. I actually just got back from one of my orthodontist appointments, so... So that sounds exciting. Anything extra they did today? Not really. The one thing they did do was add a wire to one of my brackets, but I don't exactly know how they did it. They also changed my colors, but that was pretty much it. No pain or discomfort? Not really. I mean, of course, while they were doing it, I was feeling pain, but now I'm kind of dulled down at this point. Well, that's good. That's good. I know the last orthodontist appointment you had left you uh, in some serious pain. Yep. So today we are talking about running for president. We're very close to a presidential election. They happen every four years. A um, lot of interesting things going on, lots of debates, lots of political ads. I thought it would be interesting for us to take a look at what it means to run for president. You know, what's required, what are some of the benefits to it. What's the process of it? Uh, What are the downfalls to being president? What are some of the challenges to being president? And then I wanted to kind of take our normal question and answer session and sort of turn it on its head a little bit there. And we're going to make you a candidate. And I'm going to give you questions that have been asked of candidates, both present and past, for president and I'm curious to get your take on some of these common questions that are asked of political candidates but before we start that I do want to invite folks to subscribe to the podcast you can get us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher iHeartRadio and Amazon you subscribe you'll get the podcast as soon as it becomes live Monday mornings at 8am if you do subscribe you can get the video version of our podcast <clears throat> that is listed as under Insights into Things, and the audio version is listed under Insights into Teens. I would also invite folks to reach out and give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Tell us any topics you'd like us to talk about. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. You can get us on Twitter at insights underscore things. You can get um, get us on Facebook at facebook.com slash insights into things podcast. 
Uh, we're also on Instagram at Insights Into Things. So, shall we get into it? Sure. We shall. So, what is required to be president? Um, you have a list. You have the notes up in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us what's required to be president? There's, Ironically, there's really only three things that you need to be president. Go ahead and tell us what they are. So, the first thing was that candidates must be a natural-born citizen of the United States. Now, you know what that means. Yeah, basically, you were born in the United States and you lived in the United States most of your life. Right, so you can't have immigrated here. Mm -hmm. What's next? Candidates must be at least 35 years old. Okay. And the final one is that candidates must have been a resident of the United States for the past 14 years. Right, so... Not only ha do you have to have been born here, you have to be 35 and you have to have lived the last 14 years here. Kind of simple requirements for literally the most powerful political office in the world, don't you think? Mm -hmm. uh, the other things are that once you start raising money or spending money on your campaign, if you raise or spend more than $5,000, you must register with the Federal Election Commission um, and part of that registration includes naming your principal campaign committee that will raise funds and spend money. So once you hit that threshold, that's when you're in business. That's when you really start in the political playground. Mm. Now, outside of those requirements, there are certain steps. Now, typically, but not always... Uh, a presidential candidate is one of two major parties, the Democrats or the Republicans. Uh, there's a number of times that we've had third-party candidates that were viable candidates as well. But typically what happens is the first step is what we call primaries or caucuses. Depending on the state you live in, the process is a little bit different. Okay. So this is kind of where a state, the, the residents of a state vote to elect who's going to represent them in the presidential race. Okay. So, for instance, uh, when this race started, there was only one Republican, really one viable Republican candidate, and that's Donald Trump. On the Democrat side, there was 20-some candidates that came out. So what these candidates tend to do is they'll go out and they'll go across the country and they'll campaign and they'll shake hands and they'll convince people that they're the best person for the job. Um, you'll see debates a lot with these. These are the primary debates before you actually have a candidate picked. Mm. And then once you go through all this process, then the states pick their candidate that they're going to put their, they're going to have their delegates vote for in, in what's called the election or the 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 uh, convention of whatever party it is. Ah. So the first step is basically going out there and convincing everyone that you're a good person and that they should vote for you. Alrighty. Then each state does it at a different time and they do it a different way. But ultimately all those states have their little local elections. And you can kind of think of it as clubs. Okay. So the Democrats are a club. So if you're a Democrat, you can vote for who you're, you want to represent you. If you're a Republican, you can't vote 
in a Democratic primary because mm-hmm. you're not part of that club. Yeah. So that's kind of how that works. So you can kind of think of them as clubs. Yep. So after you do all that, then you have a national convention. And the ones that they did this year were mostly virtual. Um, you had some stuff that was done in person. But at the convention, you get to hear all the talking points, what's called the platform of the politician. Okay. What they want to do, why they want to be president, what they're going to do when they're in office, and they make their pitch. You also get your nominees for vice president at this point, too. So all up until this point, you're picking who's going to run for president. The president then picks his running mate. And so a lot of times there's some politics behind that. So sometimes, like with um, John F. Kennedy. So during the whole primary process, both Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson were vying for the nomination. When Kennedy started to win over more of the states, it looked like Johnson wasn't going to win the primary nomination. But... Because of how many people lived in Texas and how many how important Texas was to the vote, Kennedy knew that he had to get Lyndon Johnson to back him. So to do that, he picked Lyndon Johnson, who was up to that point his opponent in the primaries. He picked Lyndon Johnson to be his running mate. And that pretty much guaranteed the Texas that Lyndon Johnson came from. Texas was going to be in, in their court. So there's strategy to that. Okay. Uh, this time around, the, the, I guess the big news was the Democrats and Joe Biden, who was the presumptual candidate from the Democrat side, picked Kamala Harris. And he picked the, Kamala Harris because, one, she was a very strong candidate during the primaries. Um, so she brought a lot of backing from her. But she's also... Uh, african-american she is obviously a female so there's strategy behind that because now you're looking to get different groups of people to support you because of who you picked Mm -hmm. so that's sort of where that that comes from there are times that vice presidential candidates were picked that made no sense whatsoever Mm. Uh, and it came back to bite the presidential candidates (laughs) you know because of that so you you run the primaries you do your national convention the national convention picks who that group uh, who that political party is going to have as their candidate so it's a club party you know you're part of the democrat club and it's a big giant party for your club and everybody gets together they have a good time they talk about how great their candidates are and we say okay we're all going to put our support behind this guy so after the convention comes out then you have a vice president and a presidential candidate. And they go out and they try to convince everybody, not just people in their party, but everybody to vote for them. So how many political parties do we typically have in the United States? Two, right? Two dominant ones, yes. But we have a lot more political parties out there. Mm. You have what are called third party uh, candidates. So one of the things we literally just did was we filled out our mail-in ballot so that we could vote today, and we just dropped it off today. And, you know, programming note to everyone out there who's of voting age, vote early, get it done with, 
it's a very important election. On that ballot, you had one column that was all Republican, one column that was all Democrat, and then you had like, I don't know, six or seven other columns in there that had presidential candidates. They were for all the other parties. Hmm. Your Green Party, your Libertarians, all, all these different parties. So there's a lot of different parties out there. The two dominant ones are the Democrats and the Republicans. These are the ones that we tend to follow all through the conventions and all that stuff. But all the other parties can put candidates up. You can write a candidate. You can write, you know, I can't tell you how many times Mickey Mouse has been written in as a presidential candidate. Wow. You think Disney would, would run the company of the country by this point. <laughs> so we have two major candidates now for, for president. You have Donald Trump, you have Joe Biden. They all have their running mates. And they go out and they have a time period now of about six months to go out there and convince everyone else. Now, the way it typically works is there are diehard Republicans, there are diehard Democrats. And nothing that you say will sway them from voting for the, anyone other than the people that are in their party. So you're really not campaigning to get those people. You're campaigning to get the fringe people, the undecided voters, the voters who don't vote down a column, who, who pick people, you know, however they pick people. And for the candidates that are third party, for the for the people that are third party can, uh, voters, you're trying to win them over to your side now, and that's what all these advertisements and all the debates and all this stuff is designed to do. It's to get those fringe people, those people that aren't the diehard ones, to vote for you mm. and push you over the top. Then we go to the general election. So in the general election, everybody goes hopefully and votes. And you vote for the candidate that you want. Now, the one thing that's that's confusing for a lot of people is when we go, like like we just did, mommy and daddy just casted our ballots for who we wanted to be president. We didn't vote for president, really. And this is where it gets kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. What we voted for was for who we want our electors to vote for. Because after the general election, which is often what's called the popular vote for who the people voted for, you're not voting directly for the candidate. You're voting to tell your electors who to vote for. So after the general election, you have it goes to what's called the electoral college, which isn't a college. You don't go to school there. They don't charge tuition. This was a concept that was set up by the founding fathers. And what they do is each state has a certain number of electors, people that actually cast a ballot for the president. The number of electors that you have is equal to the number of representatives that you have in Congress. It's not the representatives in Congress, but it's equal to the number. Now, just to take a quick step back and talk about Congress. Do you know how we get representation in Congress? Um, kind of. Tell me what you, how you understand it. Um, well, I know that in Congress there is, um, there are different senators. Right, um, so you have two houses in Congress. You have the Senate and the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Go. <laughs> um, and I was thinking that isn't there like one senator for each state, or it, if however large or over, or populated the state is, um, determines how many senators you have per state? That's close. So the way the Senate works is every state gets two senators, oh. regardless of how big you are or how many people. Okay. So every state has the same level of representation in the Senate. The House of Representatives is based on population. Ah. So for every so many people that you have in your state, you get a member in the House of Representatives. So this way, the bigger states still get more representation based on the number of people that they have in their state. Mm -hmm. But all states in the Senate have an equal vote. So it's checks and balances, and they kind of balance the power. Okay. So the Electoral College works the same way. So, for instance, if we have, let's just say, 30 members of the House of Representatives in our state, New Jersey. I don't actually, I should have looked it up, and I didn't even think to, but... We have 30 representatives in the House of Representatives and two senators. That gives us 32 electoral votes. Now, these electoral votes are, are picked in a completely different process, and I don't want to get into that because that really gets down into the weeds. So we have 32 votes to cast for the president. What we do as citizens is we vote to tell those... Oops, to tell those electors not to hit the mic while you're talking. No, we, we vote to tell those electors who we want them to vote. Because despite what everyone thinks, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a democratic republic. It's a representative government. So we elect people to represent us. Then they go and they cast votes in our favor. Hopefully, the way that we want to vote. Doesn't always work out that way, though. Mm -hmm. So when we vote and cast our vote in the, in the general election, we're telling our 32 electors, vote for this guy. Now, the way that that works is a little bit different. Some states, it's all or nothing. So if, if President Trump gets a majority of the vote, popular vote in New Jersey, he'll get all of our electoral votes. Some states divvy it up. So if you get half of the popular votes and you split it in half, you get half the electoral vote. So it's, it's a little bit different from state to state. But hmm. the important thing is, is that the Electoral College are the guys who actually vote for the president. And we tell them who we want them to vote for. Okay. And for the most part, it works out. So when you see, when you watch Election Day, they're looking not at the popular vote, although you'll see a lot of that. They're looking at the electoral vote. And a candidate just needs to get 51%, more than 50% of the electoral vote. So there's a grand total of 538 electoral votes that are up for grabs between all 50 states and Puerto Rico, who gets to vote in the presidency as well. The first candidate to get 270 of these wins the election. And then that newly elected president comes into power and is inaugurated in January. Hmm. Kind of complicated, right? Yeah. Let me dumb it down a little bit. Not dumb it down, but explain it in simpler terms. The World Series in baseball, okay, it's a best of seven series. You play up to seven games. The first person to win four games wins the series. Okay. 
So your vote is the number of runs that are scored in a game. So if you win the first game, your team wins the first game 10 to nothing. You've got 10 runs in, but you've only got one game that you've won. Mm. You could lose every other game after that by one run and lose the series. So it's not about how many runs you score. It's about how many games you win. Mm. So the runs in a game are your vote. The game is the state. And then each state makes up your electoral votes. So the way you win the World Series is by winning the most games. Mm. The way you win the election is by winning the most states. Mm. So that's kind of how that works. Ah. So when you cast a vote, that's like you hit a home run. And you hit a home run for your candidate. Well, if you hit more home runs for your candidate than the other guy does, he win, your candidate wins the game. So that's one game. He needs to win 270 games, basically. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how that works. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. Right. So you'll see a lot of people say, well, the Electoral College needs to go away and this and that and all the other thing. And, and there's arguments to be made for it. But if it, everything was done by the popular vote, it would be very unfair. Yeah. Because technically there's five cities in the United States and the population of those cities alone would make up enough of a majority to elect a president. And that's just cities. That's not even entire states. Wow. So you could have these five states all, all vote for the same guy, and then the rest of the country wouldn't matter if we did the popular vote. So that's why this sort of distributes that power a little bit. Okay. That all right. Sense. Yeah, it's, it's a very complicated process, but it's one... That was designed well over 200 years ago to address a lot of problems with the way that governments work and to separate power and have checks and balances and all that stuff you learn in social studies class. Yep. So that's how a president, because you're going to be president today, okay? Or at least a candidate. Yep. So it's important for you to know all the hoops you have to jump through and how the process works. So that's how the process works. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about why people want to be president of the United States and what some of the drawbacks are to being president. All righty. All right. For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild in the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. The Second Civ Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Starforge server for nightly events such as operations, flashpoints, World Boss Hunts, Star Wars Trivia, Guild Lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com. Welcome back. We are talking about running for president today. We just talked about the mechanics 
and the complicated nature of the Electoral College, and hopefully we explain that in a simple way that everyone could understand. Now we're going to talk about why do people want to be president of the United States? Let me ask you, Madison, why would you want to be president of the United States? Well, I have a few reasons that I'd want to be president. One would be to keep the country in balance, make sure, like, to stop chaos from wreaking out, and to try and be fair with everyone. Okay, that's a very good set of reasons. Any other reason you'd want to be president? Well, um, I'd also want to help minority groups, and I'd want to give them the rights that they deserve, and because rights for everyone shouldn't be a privilege it's it just should it just should be like they shouldn't be um they shouldn't not have the rights to do the same things that other people could do so and that's what makes them rights instead of privileges right yep so i think you hit on a couple of ones that my research turned up so my research came from an article in usa today and they go over, I think, five, six. They have six general reasons that have been given for why people have run for president when they've talked to presidential candidates. So the first one is sort of similar to what your first one was, and that's to change the direction of the country. You know, you see it slipping into chaos. You want to go out there and you want to lead it from the, from the, head, from the front, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of what... For instance, Fred, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did. You know, he became president during the Great Depression because he saw how damaging it was to the country. And he thought he had a plan for pulling us out of it. And I think he did a pretty good job. Um, Ronald Reagan did the same sort of thing. He was concerned about what happened to the country in the 60s and 70s. And he wanted the country to move back more towards a conservative type of policies. Mm. So a lot of presidents, a lot of candidates go out there wanting to change the direction of the country because they have a vision for it and and they want to try to fulfill that vision. Others a little bit more selfish. Some of them want to do it to to make history. A lot of egos out there in politics. A lot of people want to make a name for themselves. Um, But sometimes it's a good name. Uh, For instance, when Jesse Jackson, who's a major... His running actually influenced who else ran and how the election went. So sometimes, even if you don't win an election, you can still have a major influence on it. Mm. Um, he, what happened during his run actually prompted some changes to election rules that ultimately led to Barack Obama becoming president. Mm. So positive change there. Some other people do it to make a point. Um, Senator Eugene McCarthy challenged President Johnson in 1968 to express his opposition to the Vietnam War. Remember, America was in the middle of a war at that time, very unpopular war. Mm-hmm. Now, again, Senator McCarthy didn't win the election, but his opposition platform that he came out with um, influenced president johnson to not even run that's pretty impactful when you coming out with the platform is powerful enough to prevent an incumbent president from running for 
re-election. Mm. Um, I remember very fondly when I started voting um, in the 1990s, we had Ross Perot. And Ross Perot campaigned on a lot of the same things that Trump campaigned on about, I'm not a politician. Politicians are untrustworthy. Let's clean things up. And his running, he was probably the strongest third-party candidate that, that I've ever seen run, uh, had a major influence over that election and kind of siphoned votes from one side to the other. Mm. So there's a lot of different ways to, to bring your point across. Uh, the other is to make a brand. And this is, this is really where a lot of people tend to, to be selfish with this. A lot of people who run for president wind up losing but going on to other things. Uh, Mike Huckabee was one who got a, a show on Fox News. Uh, Al Sharpton got a show on MSNBC. Uh, Newt Gingrich got a show on CNN. So it's all these different uh, ways to advance your own career. Um, probably not the best reasons to run, right? Yeah. Um, what do you think running for president and losing... How do you think you could use that as a way to achieve some of your goals? Um, well, I'd, I mean, I never really had a main goal to be famous, um, for anything like that. I wanted to, but, um, I could use it to convey that I, just to try and get a better point shown because I'd want to show the world that I want to help it and I don't want it to go up in shambles and I want everything I want everyone to be equal I want everything I, I want to basically decrease hate that's been going around yeah and, and and the one thing about being a candidate is the amount of attention that you get so if you have a powerful message like that that you want to get out. Running for president is a great way to get it out even if you don't win because other people see, you know, a young, vibrant woman like you going out there and wanting to change the world and make things better and stop the hatred. And that gets tons of press and that affects people. So that's a good way of using the process itself to to further your own causes. And that's technically selfish, but it's selfish in a way that's selfless. You know, you're trying to use the process to push your agenda, but your agenda is for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's probably a, a worthwhile endeavor. Number five on the list here is because it's the family business. Uh, we've seen a lot of this lately with, uh, you know, we saw George W. Bush. His father was president. His brother, who happened to be a governor of Florida, is also a very strong candidate for president as well. Not this year, obviously, because they already have a candidate. But you might see him run for president as well. Mm. Uh, 2016, Hillary Clinton ran for president. She was running as the first female uh, candidate for president, but her husband was president. Uh, Rand Paul also ran for president. Um, 
He was the son of a two-time Republican candidate. Uh, Mitt Romney is another one whose father was a Republican nominee back in the 1960s as well. So there's a lot of legacy. And you can't talk about political legacy if you don't talk about the Kennedys. You know, John Kennedy became president. His brother ran for president, was assassinated before the election. You know, very strong political ties in his family. So sometimes it really is just the family business of politics. And the last thing that they have here is kind of a funny one. It's because lightning sometimes strikes. Okay. Um, sometimes the guy who you don't expect to win wins. The one example I didn't include in here was Jimmy Carter. Um, Jimmy Carter got elected in the wake of the, the Richard Nixon scandal, the Watergate, a um, lot of distrust of government. And Jimmy Carter came out as this honest, simple, um, everybody loves him kind of politician that was innocent, kind of naive, but a symbol of what was wholesome about America that we had kind of lost. <laughs> and he won. And no one expected him to win. He was a, he was a peanut farmer. No one thought he'd win. Uh, he only had one term, uh, but he was the right candidate at the right time. Bill Clinton, same thing. Uh, he ran against George Herbert Walker Bush, President George W. Bush's father. Now, this Bush uh, presidency came right after the Gulf War. So he was extremely popular during the Gulf War. So nobody wanted to run against him because nobody thought they'd beat him because his, his popularity was so high. And Bill Clinton, again, this simple, easy to talk to, uh, came across as very honest. You could sit down, like the one thing that they, everyone said about Bill Clinton, you could sit down and have a beer with him. He was just that relaxed around people. He was that charismatic. Um, but he ran and won. And no one expected him to. So sometimes it's the, the environment is just ripe for that that long shot, you know. Mm. So that's that's some of the reasons. Now, becoming president isn't all roses, you know. There's there are some downfalls to it. Um, you get to live in the White House, which is basically a working museum. Yeah. I'm not sure I want people doing tours through my house while I'm trying to live there. Yeah. That's one downfall. So our drawbacks came from an article on CBS News, and I thought it was kind of interesting how they went about it. Um, we've talked about freedom in the past, having a certain amount of freedom and learning from it and stuff. As president, you lose all that. You know, imagine having Secret Service agents following you around the rest of your life. You can't even go to the bathroom without having six people being checked to make sure you're all right. Wow. Um, <sighs> We've talked about mommy and daddy not smothering you in the past. Um, how would it feel like to you, since you know you're going to be running for president for us today, if you were elected president, you couldn't go anywhere without a security detail. How would that make you feel? Well, I'm pretty sure at first it wouldn't be fun because you don't know because you need privacy, and even when you're like, 
You can't have people following you around everywhere you go. You need your privacy. We've talked about privacy before and how important it is and that you shouldn't constantly be smothered or checked on and that you need your privacy to get away from people. And I definitely think at the start, having people check on me like every 30 like every minute would definitely get annoying and having to go everywhere with them might be a little weird but um maybe after a few years after like the first two years i'd probably get used to it and like it wouldn't come as a shock to me when like they're like are you okay um because well we've seen in the past that presidents can be harmed if they're not protected right and um I understand why the people have to check on them, especially if something's going on, so. Yeah, it might be one of those things that you can get used to after a while, I guess. Yeah. How about the pressure? You know, they say the pressure of being a president is enormous. What's the biggest pressure that you feel on a given day right now? Well, the biggest pressure is, I suppose, trying to meet expectations. Um... You guys don't have very high expectations for me, but you also want to make sure that I'm not doing um, wrong the wrong things. So I kind of have to meet expectations, and I want to kind of meet the expectations you guys make, but also the expectations I meet, which sometimes there are going to be a little more difficult. But, you know, I want to... So let me ask you this. What do you think the most difficult decision you make is on a day-to-day basis? Most difficult decision. Um, I'd say that'd be having to choose um, who's right and who's wrong. Because conflicts are everywhere. Conflicts arise in everyday life. And I um, was actually learning the nature of conflicts in school for my health class. And basically, it talks about how conflicts are against two or more people with opposing ideas or viewpoints. So what's a typical conflict that you would deal with at school? Um, well, it would sometimes be like, um, sometimes when it would be, um, back when I went to school, it would be sort of, one kid wants to do one thing, but the other kid wants to do something else, and I have to be the one who mutually decides which one we do. Now, imagine the kind of conflict that a president deals with. Mm. You know, you have a president who has a country like North Korea who's building and testing nuclear weapons and threatening everyone in the area. So the conflicts that you're dealing with on a presidential level are at a much larger scale. There's life and death, world-changing conflicts that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of pressure that a president deals with every day. Um, Similar to what you deal with, but the stakes are much higher. Yep. So the pressure is turned up considerably. Mm. Everyone in the country gets to approve or disapprove of you. So how do you, do you feel that people judge you now? Well, considering some of the things that I do, I'd imagine people would judge me because they think I was kind of weird. And I'll fully admit I am. And uh, 
I don't know if they actually judge me or if it's just my own, like, anxiety kind of kicking in. Like, what if people, like, kind of self-consciousness in the side of my head. Like, what if they're judging you because of you doing something? Something like that. So, okay, that makes sense. So there's about 325 million Americans right now. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them has an opinion about the president. Good or bad, but they're all judging him all the time. The press is judging him. The people on TV are judging him. All these people, all the world leaders out there, all the citizens of the world look to the United States and they judge the president. How would you handle scrutiny at that level where everything that you do is scrutinized and judged and looked at under a microscope? That has to be overwhelming. Yeah, I'd imagine, especially like if people, I know that there are um, teens my age or just people in general who feel very self conscious of themselves because they fear what other people think of them. And as, and like at that point, it's for, in some cases, it really doesn't matter what their opinion is of you because it's not going to, they're not going to really impact your life majorly. But when you're president, what people think of you matters, because if you have a, the unpopular opinion of people who don't like you, then you're not going to be able to, um, then you need to up up your campaign, and and you might not have a chance of being president. Yeah. And, like, and if you are president and people aren't happy with what you're doing, people could riot. People riot when the government does something that they that they don't like or that they don't approve of then riots protests break out yeah so one of the other things that they talk about is you spend the rest of your life acting like a human soundbite so every time you talk to somebody in public you're expected to say certain things and say them in a certain way and be diplomatic and and you can't offer your opinion freely or you're looked down on. Um, so you're kind of expected to behave in a certain way in public. Do you think that's something that would wear on you? I mean, yeah, because not only will people be now not only will people be judging you for your actions of what you do, they'll be judging you about what you say and what you do all the time. And if you say something like if you say something that you didn't mean to say, at that point, like, they always say that you can't take your words back. And at that point, it really becomes clear because people can, like, just saying one sentence could change people's viewpoints of you if you're president like that because of how many people are going to look at you for what you're going to say. So I'd imagine that would definitely wear on me. Yeah, yeah, that would certainly wear on me, too. Everybody's got their hand out, meaning everybody wants something. Um, they want their bill sponsored. They want their uncle pardoned. Uh, they want their taxes lowered. Nobody really is genuinely interested in you or your interest or what you want. They just see you as a tool to get what they want. Uh, how would you feel if, if all of your friends and even your family, I guess, to a certain extent, 
simply looked at you as a means to an end and didn't really care about you but just what you could do for them. I mean, it would hurt. We've talked about the toxic relationships before, and one of them is the user. And this is basically what being present is. You're basically just a way for people to get what they want. And to a certain extent, if you have any friends, like if you're popular, like a popular celebrity, or just a popular politician, or just someone who is very well known, people who want to be your friends who you've never heard of, you can't, it, you have, you begin to have trust issues because people seem to only see you because you have a certain power or the popularity you have could get them to have something that they want. So you get to have trust issues with that and even your close friends and family who you've known before you get the um, popularity and power, they might they might still care about you but they could also use you to an extent and not realize it. And people who want to be your friend just because you're the president or because you're one of the most famous celebrities in the world, then you really get the trust issues. And I don't think people really see that with the celebrities because it's always shown that people who, with um, great popularity and power, they're normally just shown for their actions and people don't seem to care about their interests or just what they what they like and what they dislike they just care about getting what they want that is a very good point and that kind of leads us to the last one i wanted to talk about here and that's it's lonely at the top and and when we say that we mean everyone behaves strangely around you you're the president of the united states you have more power than any individual in the world, regardless of how much money you might have. They don't act like themselves. Um, they're stiff. They may laugh at inappropriate times because they think, you know, they're trying to appease you. Um, but they don't treat you like a person anymore. How would that make you feel if everyone acted strange around you because of the position that you had and nobody treated you like a friend anymore or just a normal person. How would that make you feel? Well, it would definitely tear on me because, like, before, when you don't have that much power, people just have a certain reaction to you. You just go, you just really, you just really don't pay, they don't pay much attention to you. They're just, like, walking and doing what they need to do for the day. But when you're popular or are the president with a lot of power, then people are like basically yes men. Like whatever, well, if you have a choice on what you want to do, people, like if you try and make a joke that's not funny and people don't really think it's funny in their minds, they'll still laugh um, um, with you on the joke because they think that'll get them closer to you so that they can get what they want from you, um, getting a closer bond. But that's not exactly any good if you want to have a close relationship with someone because a real friend or someone who you'd know wouldn't laugh at a joke that they didn't find funny. Um, take, for instance, you and me. Like, some jokes you make... Um, I'll admit it, aren't as good as some other ones. So, and I don't, 
and I don't fake laugh. You can tell a real laugh from a fake laugh, and you don't really like to be fake laughed at because then it just sees that people are acting differently around you, and it becomes more clear that they don't want to be close to you. They just want to get what they want. Right. That's very well said. Very well said. And what do you mean my jokes aren't funny, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. Most jokes are most of your jokes are funny. There are just some that are just dad jokes that can be, you know, kind of annoying, especially when you try poking a stick in my cage. Well, I got I got news for you. Some of those jokes that aren't funny aren't meant to be funny. They're just meant to poke a stick in your cage. Yeah, I was about to say. So that was all we had for that. Let's come back after a quick break, and we're going to make you a candidate. I'm going to ask you 10 questions that are debate questions, and I want to get your answer on them. Alrighty. Insights into Entertainment, a podcast series taking a deeper look into entertainment and media. Our husband and wife team of pop culture fanatics are exploring all things from music and movies to television and fandom. We'll look at the interesting and obscure entertainment news of the week. We'll talk about theme park and pop culture news. We'll give you the latest and greatest on pop culture conventions. We'll give you a deep dive into Disney, Star Wars, and much more. Check out our video episodes at youtube.com backslash insights into things. Our audio episodes at podcast.insightsintoentertainment.com or check us out on the web at insightsintothings.com. Okay, we are back. Uh, apparently a little premature there because I didn't have sound. Uh, so you are a candidate. You are running for president. Uh, what political party are you? You can make one up if you want. Uh, political party, Katsurama. Katsurama. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, so you are on the stage. You are not debating with anyone, but you're ask, you're being asked to answer some debate questions. Question one: What would you do immediately after taking office to combat the COVID nineteen pandemic? So. I try to legalize. I try to legal. I try. I would try to ma make ma masks mandatory when you're going out and seeing other people. And I'd also want to mandate um, the six feet apart social distancing um, laws because they have been proven to work. And um, it's been shown that it can stop the spread of COVID. And I'd hope. And I wouldn't want to rush a vaccine. I'd want it to take time because vaccines take time they take pretty much at least a year before they can finally work so i wouldn't rush the whole vaccine but i'd want to make masks mandatory for going and seeing other people and i'd also want it to make social distancing mandatory okay good answer Question two, how will you tackle the issues of police brutality and racism in the criminal justice system? Okay, so I am not going to, I'm not just going to ignore any of the police who are, who are racist against 
um, any of the minorities. I'd want to make sure that if they were going to act like that, they'd be fired or even if to a certain extent put in jail. Because police are meant to protect everyone, no matter what race, religion, or gender they are or represent as. And I don't want any police in the off any police being let go because they ended up harming people just in a peaceful protest because then the peaceful protest doesn't isn't peaceful anymore and because if you're trying to stop a peaceful protest it, with violent ways it's not going to help anything and i wouldn't take kindly to any officer who went against people just because they were slightly different okay Question three, how will you address the recent surge in voter suppression? Um, so I would want to try and make sure that people were allowed to vote and that I wouldn't stop them from voting because it's their, it should be their right to vote. And many people, especially women and minorities, have died. Many women and, my, and people of minorities have died for the right to vote because not everyone used to be able to vote and people should be proud that they get the chance to vote. And voting is very important. Like you said earlier, everyone of the right age should be able to vote and make sure that they vote, especially during public health crises such as this. Um, because these elections are very important, and people need to see, uh, people need to make sure they put the right person in office. Okay. Question four. What do you see as the single greatest threat to our country at this time? Uh, there's a lot going on. I'd say that one would, of course, be the coronavirus right now. Many people have died, many people are sick from it, and the death rates have been going up and many and it's completely changed all of our lives at this point. It would probably be a pretty big threat, but also all the racism going on right now and the hate around the world. That's also going to eventually tear us apart at some point. Like if people were reasonable about the pandemic, then Maybe things would be slightly better, but not everyone's able to re be reasonable. So either it's the pandemic or it's the hatred going on. And if I can prevent one of them, that's good enough. Okay. Question five. How will you tackle the influence and in politics of special interest groups such as the fossil fuel lobby? Okay, so... I don't think that anyone running for office um, should be persuaded by others. It's their own idea of what they want, and people shouldn't be paid to have their opinion. I feel as though people should be should have the right to express their opinion in a way that doesn't harm anyone else or themselves. That doesn't, you know, that basically doesn't do harm to anything. So, I'd want people to. I'd want politicians to have their stance of what they feel is right. Okay. Question six. Do you think the office of the President of the United States has too much power now? Well, I don't really think too much because when someone is trying to pass a law, a bill as a law, it has to, it like, 
Congress. So there's Congress, the president, and a third other one that I don't Supreme know, Court. The Supreme Court, and it's and it's basically sixty six percent has to be used to pass it. So, and I think that's fair because not everything the president wants to get in. Uh, will get in by people, by the people of Congress or the Supreme Court, which I think it's good, but I think we might also um, want a little more balance because there is a little too much power that the president could have because the president, like, makes all the laws and there are, there should be limitations to laws you can make. Okay. Question seven. What would you do to address white nationalism and the resurgence of hate crimes against minorities. Well, for one thing, I try to give any of the minorities rights that they didn't already have before. Because I feel everyone should have rights. Because they're not privileges, they're rights. No matter what kind of person they are, they deserve all the rights. And I don't think it's fair that people of minorities should be... should. Of course, I can't stop the people who don't like the minorities because they're different... I don't know how to fix them, but at least I can give the minorities their own rights. Okay, I like the honest answer. Thank you. Question eight, do you think the financial records and health records of presidential candidates should be made available to the public prior to the election? Well, I mean, probably now, yes, because we need to know, like, if they've had, like, if they have gotten any major diseases because disease is prominent right now and we don't want anyone in office who is diseased from the start. We want to make sure that they're healthy and um, able to serve their four years. Okay. Question nine. Do you think it should be a priority to confirm a replacement Supreme Court nominee before the election? Being completely honest... No, because especially since the especially since um, it's so close to the election, I don't feel as though we should put someone we should have a replacement Supreme Court nominee until the election is done because we don't know who's going to take in the office, and um, I'd feel that the president, um, dur- like the president during the Supreme, like, during having to replace the Supreme Court nominee so close to the election, I don't think that we should do that. I think we should more or less wait for the election, and then if the president still gets reelected, then they can have the nominee confirmed. And because, like, they're not going to be in office for that, like, if they're not reelected, they're not going to be in office for that much longer, and their nominee isn't really going to do much. So, especially by the end of their first term, I'd think that we shouldn't replace the uh, Supreme Court nominee. All right. Just yet. So, our tenth and final question is probably the biggest one of all. What is the one most important thing that you would want to accomplish in your first four years as president? Well, I have a lot of things I'd want to accomplish in my first four years. And I think the major one right now... um would be, well, I have two major ones that I've mentioned before, which is, of course, to make sure that everyone, that 
there is better ways to help combat the coronavirus going on now and better ways for people to stay healthy and safe. But I'd also want to give minorities their own rights and the rights that they deserve because they shouldn't just be um, lowered just because they're different because of their gender, race, religion, anything like that. I feel like everyone deserves rights and I don't think that and people who don't believe that I don't think I can fix them, but I want everyone to have their rights because they because they just deserve it. It it should be given to them because they're rights, not privileges. Okay, good answer. I think you did a very good job answering those ten questions. There were some very Thank difficult you. questions there. Yep. And you had some very mature answers for them. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute with your closing remarks and shout outs. Go for your closing remarks and shout outs. Okay, so I don't exactly know what to say here because normally this is related to teens and I'm pretty sure not many teens are going to be um, running for president, but teens who are able to vote now, I would say to vote because especially during this election, it's very important that you know who would be right to go into office during this public health crisis in order for everyone to stay safe. Okay. I think that is a very universally acceptable message. I would I would say uh, to all the under 18 teens out there that it's important to pay attention to these political events that are going on because they are going to impact you. Um, whoever gets elected now will be in office for four years at least. And that very well may be, you know, when you uh, reach or surpass the age of 18. And everything that happens in politics has an influence over us. Um, get your parents out there to vote. Uh, pay attention. See who wins. See what the policies are. Learn about politics. Learn about government. Learn about the vote. It's very important. Our democracy does not function if we do not exercise our vote. That was all that I had. Uh, before we go, I would ask folks to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. You can get our video podcasts under Insights into Things. Our audio podcasts are listed under Insights into Teens. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. Hit us on Twitter at insights underscore things. Our high res videos are available on YouTube at youtube.com slash insights into things. We stream six days a week on Twitch at twitch.tv slash insights into things. If you are an Amazon Prime member, you get a free uh, uh, Twitch Prime subscription. If you subscribe to us, we would greatly appreciate it. It helps us out tremendously. Audio versions of our podcasts are available at podcast.insightsintoteens. Uh, Facebook, you can get us on Facebook at insightsintothings.com. No, you can get us at facebook.com slash podcast. We're on Instagram at insightsintothings. And links to all those are available on our website at www.insightsintothings.com. And you, Madam President. 
And don't forget to check out our other two podcasts, Insights into Entertainment, hosted by you and Mommy, and Insights into Tomorrow, our monthly podcast, hosted by you and my brother, Sam. Awesome. That's it. Another one in the books. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.